Good afternoon, and welcome to the council, everyone. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello, and boy, do we have a very, very important, wonderful, inspirational show for you today. Uh, But first, I want to make sure that everyone knows this is part of the Veterans Summit special series. The Council TV radio show has uh, gone in collaboration with the Trauma Sensitive Awareness Foundation, and we are presenting a Veterans Summit special series here on KUHS TV radio. And we are premiering part one of the Veterans Summit series uh, with a very special 10-part interview series dedicated to providing veterans and their loved ones with information, hope, inspiration, and healing. This first-of-its-kind summit will explore cutting-edge treatments and alternative therapies for PTS, TBI, moral injury, sleep disturbance, family conflict, emotional trauma, and so much more. We're going to be talking to mental health experts, veterans, and their advocates are going to provide answers, resources, and solutions to bring our warriors home. We're just starting the dialogue. Come on and enjoy the conversation and learn more about Part 2 debuting in November. We are on every Friday at 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time through uh, July 24th through September 25th. And we are here on www.kuhsdenver.com. KUHS, the stream. We are broadcasting live here in Denver, Colorado, to all parts of the country. We're, all, we're being listened to by people all over this nation and all over the world. Thank you for tuning in to KUHS Denver. We've got so many incredible VDJs and personalities and people that uh, are here to bring you inspiring stories, uh, great information to educate, to bring you knowledge, uh, to bring you the information to make your lives better. And boy, do we have some fantastic music to go along with it here at KUHS TV Radio Denver. Uh, when I was... Uh, Met our guest uh, for this show, uh, and I, it was I was first heard about his story. I knew that this was something that I wanted to include in this Veteran Summit series because of the sheer inspiration and incredible courage that uh, our guest Mike uh, has shown uh, in overcoming the trauma that he's experienced in his life, and how he was able to tap in this reservoir of resiliency inside of him that allowed him to overcome something that is uh, uh, most people would not have been able to to, to overcome. And, you know, we, we, we need to hear the stories of people who have been able to overcome their traumatic injuries, uh, how they did it, uh, what caused them, what motivated them to get through it, how were they able to face the challenges that they were able to face. And one of the things that we want in this, in this series is to be able to reach out to people, to veterans and their loved ones, for those that are on the edge right now, that are, that are, that are not sure how they're going to make it through the next day, that are so overwhelmed by their, their past and their, their, their experiences that they don't know how to be able to do it. And so to be able to talk to veterans and others who have been able to overcome those is such an important thing. Because it gives us hope, and because it gives us that inspiration that we need, that, that saying that, you know what, if he could do it or if she could do it, I can do it too. And that's why we want to be able to share these inspiring stories on this show, to spread the word, to give people hope that you don't have to be defined by your past. You can define it by the present moment and by the choices that you make. And we don't always get to choose what happens to us, folks. But we do get to choose what we do with it. And just like what we're experiencing right now as a culture and as a society, boy, there's a lot of things that are happening right now. But we all individually get to decide how we respond to it. Do we respond to it from our better nature, from our noble nature, or from our baser nature? Every choice has a consequence. Everything that we do matters. 
and it can matter in ways that you have no idea. And, and if you're experiencing uh, challenges in your life, I encourage you to listen to this show over and over and over again to give you that inspiration, that, 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 uh, that little extra oomph to help you to get through the day. Today's guest, I'm very, very honored and humbled to introduce to all of you. His name is Lane Lamoureux. Lane is a venturesome, camera-carrying wanderer of the West. Finding a sense of reverence in its vast and stunning scenery and a yearning to share breathtaking scenes, a camera naturally became his companion. His photographs and films have become his way of expressing love and gratitude for our vast public lands, especially our rugged wilderness areas. Lane kept a camera close throughout his service in the Marine Corps and his nine years as a wildland firefighter, as a hotshot and a smoke jumper. Off-the-job injuries in 2013 led him to change careers and create a new livelihood with a camera. He's carved out a niche, remaining part of the fire community by creating training films for the National Fire Center. Lane loves moving messages and telling stories via the creation, excuse me, via the creative discretion inherent behind a camera lens and video editor. The words of Theodore Roosevelt reflect his values and motives. Far better it is to dare mighty things to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in a great twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. Let me introduce every one of you to Lane Lamoureux. Lane, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Charlie. I, I really appreciate that intro, and I, I love that you included the quote, I, uh, dare mighty things is a great way to start this off. Oh, what an inspiration. I mean, that quote, when I read it, and that was your kind of your your values, and, and, it, and it expresses what you have been able to overcome in your life. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was, uh, you know, he, he epitomized those kinds of values, so... When you were, you grew up, when you say in your, in your bio, you, you describe yourself as being venturesome, camera-carrying, wanderer of the West. Could you share a little bit more about your background, where you grew up, and, and, and did this love of nature begin when you were very young? Yeah, well, um, I have some deep roots in the West, and I, I really have to acknowledge and express gratitude toward my ancestors and the hardship that they endured. I think resilience runs through our DNA because they were part of the original uh, Anglo-European um, uh, settlers to, to by, by foot, uh, push handcarts across the Great Plains, through the Rocky Mountains, and into the Great Basin, um, it, beginning in 1847, before the Transcontinental Railroad. So they, they carved out a living where water was sparse and, and things barely grew, but through determination and, and just adapting to, to what you have, to the resources that you have uh, is, what, is what I've inherited. And that's, uh, yeah, so I credit my ancestors. I was born in uh, Southwest Utah, um, but I really grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Mm. And that's where my love for just the outdoors blossomed mm -hmm. and I'll be eternally grateful for my parents and when we moved in the mid 90s to the northwest end of Tucson at just outside Saguaro National Park and we had about an acre and a half of land and my favorite thing to do even as a kid you know now I look back and call this mindfulness but just to sit on a rock mm -hmm. and watch the sunset hear the birds, feel the wind, and just really, really feel in the moment. Mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, I, I love what the way you described that, and that's something that I find so soothing as well, is the, uh, the therapeutics of nature, and just being on the outside and connecting to that, uh, that uh, you know, the sounds that are all around you, and the environment that it can feed you in ways that 
you know, are really healing and really strong and really powerful. And I loved how you talked about your ancestors as well. Uh, my ancestors came across, they've been around in, here in this country for a very long time, going all the way back to uh, revolutionary times. So they saw this nation grow and that sense of deep love and commitment and resiliency as, as part of that American character. And you also served, correct? You were in the Marines. And you joined uh, the Marines, and you served for how long? What was your – could you tell us a little bit about your military, your experiences, if you would, please? Sure, sure thing, Charlie. Uh, for the longest time, I was, I was very uncomfortable talking about my military service. But, you know, I've, I've just come to accept that it is what it is, and my service, I'd have to preface with describing it as short-lived. I never experienced combat. Um, I joined in 2001, and initially I was a reservist um, out of Tucson, Arizona, but, you know, 9-11 happened, and then I'm like, you know, let's switch my MOS. I went active duty infantry, and and I was trained up as a machine gunner, and I spent about six, six months in the fleet before some symptoms that... I developed a thyroid disorder, mm. and and my red blood cell count became anemic, so I had pernicious anemia. So I just had these symptoms, and things were just, something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And my heart would just pound really, really hard at times, and I, I just couldn't figure it out. And I, 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 I really struggled because I loved, I loved the guys in my platoon, and I loved being a machine gunner, I loved packing a, a 240 Gulf up a steep sandy hill in 29 Palms. But mm -hmm. I saw a doctor and I thought, you know, something's not right. And I got hooked up with like a heart monitor. And, and af after that, you know, you kind of get labeled. And I got labeled as, you know, something's something's messed up with Lamoro. Mm -hmm. And and I just couldn't, I couldn't ever shake that label. And before I knew it, you know, I was assigned to be a, a cook and so when my unit did uh, our combined arms exercises i was just serving chow and and i felt like i just i i i, I got really depressed mm -hmm. and didn't really see the means to rejoin my bros and mm -hmm. anyway my my symptoms continue to um uh, to, to wreak havoc until the point where where I was transferred to Balboa Naval Medical Center. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, this is late 2002, we were, we were preparing for deployment to Okinawa, Japan. And while I was in San Diego at the Naval Medical Center, my, my buddy Murata called me up and said, hey man, they just changed the destination. We're not going to Okinawa, we're going to Kuwait. And I was like, what? No way. And, and it was really tough to, to not be there. And, and have my buddies go through things that I'll never be able to understand. And not everyone came back. And it, uh, you know, for, yeah, it, it was just tough. I had like the survivor's kind of, I don't know if you call it survivor's guilt, but yeah. I just, yeah. I, I struggled. And, and a medical board was put together and sent to uh, the I was at Bethesda, Maryland. Anyway, mm -hmm. and it, it came back, you know, that I'm unfit for duty. So I was discharged after two and a half years of service. Mm -hmm. Well, and, uh, you know, and that's, that's normal for, for people who love uh, – when you understand that brotherhood and you understand that sisterhood that happens in the service, in the military, and when you're not able to go do the things to, to be there with them in that, in, in that moment of – of combat or of war, of high, you know, service. Uh, there's a sense of like I haven't done my part or something. So survivor's guilt is usually quite normal with that. I certainly had that uh, as my veterans that were flying airplanes and doing the things uh, because that's not what I was doing. So, but the fact that you served and you and you loved and you understand what it means to serve and what veterans go through is why it's so important. Because you are. Once you're a veteran, anybody who serves to me is uh, is a warrior, and you're definitely a warrior, sir. After the Marines, you were out pursuing your passions, and you followed in your inclinations. 
and there were some things that were going on for you. Could you describe what happened and the event that changed your life forever? Yeah, uh, Charlie, I'll, I'll work my way into that just through the segue of, you know, post uh, Marine Corps. You know, I, I had this this calling that I felt like I wasn't quite able to answer while I was in the service because I never I never I never did what I was trained to do. So when I got out, I was determined. I was like, oh, I have to serve my nation. And so I went about it by, by going to college to become a teacher. Mm-hmm. And, and I just took a, a summer job as a wildland firefighter and just fell in love with that and felt that same sort of camaraderie and getting in a fighting fire out of, out of the Marine Corps. It was like, it was all the camaraderie and and we had like a common foe a common you know that would unite us and didn't matter your race creed or whatever like you were part of a family that spanned the entire nation and fighting fires from from the panhandle of florida to north of, of the arctic circle in alaska like those nine years you know really really uh, made me who i am yeah. and well, it had the same kind of and brotherhood, right? That family. Yeah. Created that family and yeah. that brotherhood that you felt for in the military and you were able to carry over into your firefighter work. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, as a, as a smoke jumper, there was one occasion where I overshot the jump spot and ended up in a tree and, and I was trying to rappel down. And, and I, I wasn't too high up, between 20 to 30 feet. And, and, and I did everything right, but something about uh, it was hung over a ponderosa pine tree, and the limbs extend uh, perpendicular to the bowl of the tree. So, so my shoe it was a round parachute, and it was only hung over one limb. So when I when I busted loose one of my cape walls, my risers, mm-hmm. my parachute just zipped up and over the, the the limb, and I came crashing down and, and fractured my L4 and, and herniated a couple discs. Mm-hmm. And I, and I only mention that story because it kind of uh, contributed to the severity of what happened in 2013, which was purely recreational. And in 2013, January 27th, my entire life was reset. Um, I was flying. It was, it was a stable day. It was nothing but stratus clouds, and it was, it was quite overcast. But... I was flying the San Jacinto Mountains in, in Southern California, and suddenly a, a patch of blue sky appeared, and just the sun just beamed down, and it it heated this area disproportionately to the colder air mass. And something about that temperature gradient contributed to what the meteorologists who investigated the incident called uh, a microburst, mm-hmm. and. I'm up there in my paraglider, and I can penetrate roughly 20 miles an hour of airspeed. And this microburst, the winds picked up, and they were going so strong. I looked down at my flight instrument, and before I knew it, I was going, I was going 40 miles an hour, the opposite direction of where I was faced. So, I, you know, doing the math, that, that means I had 60 mile an hour winds, and I was going backward. And I was completely uh, powerless. And I just thought, what are my options? What are my options? Do I have any? Do I have any? And I just was hoping the winds would let up. They never let up. And roughly 100 feet AGL above ground level, my entire glider folded up. And I threw my, my backup parachute. But it wouldn't open because of how rotor works, how the air was essentially going down. So if anything, my reserve worked more like an anchor. And and I hit so hard that I drove my right femur through my acetabulum, through the socket in my pelvis, and it continued through my pelvis into my pelvic ring, snapped my pelvis off of my spine, and drove my right hip up to T10, which is my second rib. So that's about eight inches that 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 bone was driven you know through my liver and and lacerated my my large bowel and 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 a couple arteries so i'm 
I'm in rough shape just laying there with my with my pelvis and my ribs and then check this out then then my backup parachute finally decides to inflate and these strong winds and takes me through a rocky ride and I'm getting dragged through these rocks and that's where I fracture my my right arm in two places and I take a rock to the skull and sustain a TBI and lost some of the vision in my in my right eye and unfortunately uh, Scott Warren who I'll be eternally grateful for spiraled down on the upwind side of this terrain feature so he avoided the the rotor and then he came running over and, and if it weren't for him man he cut me loose from from that reserve parachute and there's another pilot still in the air Dave Turner and I'll also be grateful for him and and Scott radioed to Dave and said hey man we need we need a helicopter here as soon as possible Lane is in rough shape and at this point man like my recollection is now it it, it it'll seem science fiction like because I'm starting to get these out of body experiences and and I bleed out within two hours and I, I flatline I coded and that that happened on four occasions um, through the duration of my nine week coma it was it was things would go well for a few days and then something would bleed out and Lane would die again and then things would go well and then suddenly Lane's airway gets filled up with liquid because his feeding tube went in the wrong pipe and Zoe died again and so everyone that stayed tuned through 2013 like it was not a continuous trajectory of improvement things would it kept people's attention for nine solid weeks oh my god yeah and then <laughs> wow that's you know then I, and then charlie I, I wake up my you know i come out of my coma and the TBI knocked out memories, so I don't remember what happened. And I'm in the hospital, and I feel like I'm some sort of test experiment. I just don't don't get it. And then, and then my mom tells me I I'm now 30, so I had my uh, 30th birthday. You know, I never got to celebrate it because I was I was in the spirit world. <laughs> that I mean, I, I I'm I, oh my gosh, uh, that's. How did you start to recover from that? I mean, that, did you be, because did you have anything? I mean, when I listen to this, I, I mean, I, I'm 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 imagining all of what you describe, and it is so like every level of trauma that you could possibly imagine or experience, you experienced. Yeah. What did you have in your life that you built prior to that trauma? Your, your, that trauma that helped you to get through that. I mean, could you share it with us? Cause that's incredible that you were able to get through. Yeah. That. I mean, you flatlined, Char you said you Char flatlined four times. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A lot of CPI was done. A lot of ribs were broken, <laughs> but here I am. God bless. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. So wow. Charlie, I like, I like to, with my, background in paragliding and smoke jumping I, I really um, I, I articulate my thoughts best through metaphors and aviation yeah. is 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 I think something we can all visualize mm -hmm. and the way I see it you know I lost my right engine you know like I broke my arm I, I got this condition called heterotropic ossification the biggest word I know, and uh, that's, <laughs> that's a my, my right elbow. So yeah. my right elbow was like locked out. So I couldn't, I couldn't bring my hand to my face. I can now because we chiseled that bone out, but you know, to not be able to bring your hand to your face and, uh, you know, some visual impairment and not to mention the fact that initially I was bilaterally paralyzed. I couldn't, I couldn't move either leg and, and wow. eventually gained back 80% of my left leg, but, but my right leg just, you know, was about, I'd say 80% paralyzed completely below the knee. Yeah. Most of my glute couldn't activate my hamstring, just a narrow thread. My hamstring could activate. So, 
like I have to decide what do I do with my life now mm -hmm. because smoke jumping, you know, I, when I when I first came out of my coma and and my mom informed me that it was March and my last memory was Thanksgiving. I'm like March, wait. I was like, Mom, you gotta you gotta contact the jump base and tell them I'm gonna be late for work because <laughs> <laughs> she's like, don't worry, Elaine. They know they know all about it. They they followed along. You don't need to contact your employer. They're in the loop. Wow. Yeah. So what what prepared me? I'm prepared isn't quite the right word, but what what enabled me to to um, get through that was things that I had built prior that mm -hmm. I had no idea I really had because they were never needed. They were never exposed until that. So mm -hmm. I think of the connections, the friends, the family. Like I knew I had a handful of good friends, mm -hmm. but I had no idea that they cared that much. Mm -hmm. And like my, my family was just inundated with with people trying to do anything they could to make my family more comfortable you know because because my accident happened in california my family at the time all lived in arizona so they're all ho hoteled up and stuff's expensive yeah. you know nine nine week coma and my mom was there every single day and wow. so like a donation was set up and and leave so i was a federal employee at the time and they set up a leave donation mm -hmm. program and over a thousand hours of annual leave was donated so i was able to take like i was able to take four and a half months mm -hmm. and just focus on my health and take leave every day that's incredible you know did you have i mean i, I think i uh, for a lot of people who experience trauma lane uh especially such severe and acute and intense trauma that you did a lot of us uh experience what i kind of consider to be um uh you know why did this happen to me question why you know when you start to cl clear some of the fog or I, I call it the job syndrome you know the job dilemma uh, you know, we have yeah. it all to a certain degree, depending upon the severity, depending upon the degree uh, of our trauma. And we battle. We battle with our reason. We battle with our need to know why things happen as they do. We need explanations. We want explanations from the world, from God, from anybody. And I certainly know from my from my PT, from my moral injury and PTSD, I, I certainly had that, and that's a battle I went through. Uh, I, oh my gosh, I can only imagine <laughs> what must have been yeah. going through your soul. Could you just share a little yeah. bit of a moment? Because I know people who are watching this and listening to this and who may be going through that with themselves, their own Job moment. And if you could just share how were you able to move through your dark night of the soul? Well, I got to be honest, like I, I struggled. I struggled big time. I had those moments where I thought, ah, you know, maybe I should have just stayed dead. You know, maybe I should have been a DNR, do not resuscitate. Like, you know, I I'd occasionally think, I lived a good life, 29 years of, and, mm -hmm. and it, it took me a while to really, what I would say, recalibrate to my new world, because that's what it was. It, it was a new world, and I had a new body, and it had different functions, different strengths, different weaknesses, and I had to, I had to learn what they are, and I had to, I, I really just had to accept that the lane of 29 years had a great life, but but passed away, passed away January 27th. Mm -hmm. And the way I see it is I completely restarted and this is a new life, a new world, a new body. And it was really helpful that my twin brother, his wife, Michelle, was pregnant 
at this time they ended up um, naming their their child after me but it was, <laughs> it was cool because he was born right when i was discharged from the hospital so it was kind of like we were starting our lives together and who's going to learn to walk first mm-hmm. you know i spent i spent yeah. a good six months in a wheelchair because with you know reattaching my pelvis you know at, there was there was a time when um the neurosurgeon advised me to accept life as a chair user and he discouraged me from ever uh, putting weight on my lower limbs again because of of the fact that like my pelvis was reattached and the possibility that my spine could fall through my pelvic ring was a was real and so every every step i take is honestly a bit of a violation of doctor's orders but but you know i feel like i'm 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 able to mitigate things by just being well being healthy and and my body will surpass whatever the physicians had expected and well you're a miracle I mean, you're a walking miracle. It is, and you inspire me so much because of you could have taken that moment, and and I know what that moment is, and you didn't. You chose not to. You chose to go the other. You chose life. You chose life, and I think that is so powerful. That is such a powerful message. Um, you were going to say something. Yeah. You, you know, Charlie, just you know weeks in a coma so i i i was went in at 180 pounds and got down to 112 pounds i was i was skin and bones and when i first came out of my coma like sitting up for the first time was was more challenging than the three marathons i ran like sitting up activating those muscles that hadn't hadn't been used in three months it was grueling and and my jumper bro matt ingram he was right there to witness how arduous something so simple was and and i i struggled and just i i kind of i tapped out you know i i laid back then and we tried it a few times and i'll never forget that i had a nurse um, john the fifth floor and he was you know some may say this is a tad bit abrasive but john told me after after one time i was struggling to sit up and i was trying to go for five seconds and and i just i i made it to three and um and said you know what lane you're you're at this point where you have to make it a choice you have to decide whether or not you want to spend the rest of your life in an assisted living center or if you want to go on to physical therapy and that right there lit a fire under me and because i really saw that fork in the road and and life is for living and you know i'm just getting started there's a lot a lot ahead of me and it's it's going to be an entirely different orientation than I had built my life around. I have to figure out what am I going to do now? What can I offer the world? What are what am I good at? What do I enjoy? Yeah. And yeah, I don't know if you want me to go on with <laughs> with, with those items. Or we we could circle back to them. We'll get back to them, but I re- I really want to get to the point because. We're in that moment where you had to decide whether or not you were going to go into assisted living or you're going to go into physical therapy. And that moment must have been that point, that critical factor, that motivation, the key psychological, maybe with spiritual component of your healing. And what was it that kept you going through all of the pain, through all of the not being able to sit up and, and, and the struggle, the, the, the fear of, like you said, of when you were walking or if you were the, the cervical spine. I, I mean, there's so much. How did you keep yeah. going? What was it? What was it? Was it I'm, I'm you know, for me, I'll just describe for me and my uh, challenges with uh, with uh, trauma and, and 
and my PTSD is that I, I knew that I, I wanted to heal. No matter what, I was going to do whatever it took. I made the decision that I was going to heal, that I was going to take every step and whatever it cost, whatever. I mean, because I was on that edge. And, that, and I made that decision. And I was curious, did, did you have that kind of, something like that in you as well? And, and, and could you share with us some of the things that you experienced while you were rehabilitating yourself? Well, I, I think, I think the, the most key factor in how I climbed out of this dark place is, is I went through the grieving process. I mourned, you know, I would, I'd mm-hmm. fire up my tablet and I'd get some sentimental music going and I'd, I'd clip through a slideshow of, of all these things I've done with my life and man dude it would uh, it would tear me up it would tear, tear me up pretty significantly and I did that for for weeks and I mourned and I really I felt like I went through the grieving process and unfortunately I don't think a lot of people that experience trauma really go through that entire process and that process really happens through honesty. Like you have to be real with yourself. You have to acknowledge that what happened was terrible. It was unfortunate. It was, it was awful. Mm-hmm. But now I have to decide. I, now fast forward to what's most important is what do I do now? And regardless of my situation, I felt like I always had a choice. Mm -hmm. Even if I couldn't choose to move a limb or two, I could choose where my mind would walk. I could, I could activate my imagination. I could, so just, just feeling that sense of power behind our ability to make choices can't be overstated. Mm -hmm. Like never forget, never forget you have a choice and and I chose to to do what I could with what I had. And I was now an aircraft without a right engine. But you know what? They can still fly with, with one engine. They have to work. They do. They have to work <laughs> twice as hard. But you know what? Through, through adapting the rudders and, and working that left engine, that, that thing can stay, uh, stay airworthy. Well, uh, you know, and it's true. You can keep going. Even if you have just one engine, you, the plane can still fly. You just have to make the decision that I'm going to keep flying. I'm going to keep going. And you've, you're, you're an amputee. You've lost, uh, you know, you, you, they, you actually had your, your legs uh, removed. How has becoming an amputee changed your life? Yeah, so Charlie, that was a really recent development. That just happened this last winter. I went with my amputation, and it was one of the best decisions I've made. Mm. And it it was a significant upgrade. Getting and now I have uh, the Oster Cheetah Explorer, and 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 now now that I have a prosthetic limb, my right foot doesn't get infected anymore because. Well, hell, it, it's been incinerated. You know, it's in the atmosphere. We're all breathing it in, like it or not. <laughs> was that a um, big decision when you made that? I mean, was it? What made you to have the decision to to have the, your legs removed? Just this is so, the right thing to do. Yeah. So I, I'm just a, a single, just right leg BK below the knee amputee, mm-hmm. and and right after my accident, even while I was in the wheelchair. I was evaluated uh, by the VA in Tucson for an amputation, mm-hmm. and they concluded that I lacked the proximal strength, the muscle activation above, mm-hmm. to to get an amputation, which really puzzled me because I thought you get your leg cut off when things are really messed up. Mm-hmm. They're telling me things are too messed up to cut it off. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I made do with a cane, and uh, I used a, an AFO, and eventually I got um, um, the uh, Exosim, which was this device that enabled me to to let go of my cane and have two free hands, which can't. I mean, having two a- hands, you can now carry a bag of groceries and open a door. Right. You know, when you're on yeah. a cane, it's, yeah. 
things we've talked about. So I'm anyway trying to get back to uh, your question. I wandered off a bit, but yeah, the the amputation. I I've been pushing for that for years, and I got about I got about twenty no's before I finally got the two yeses I needed, mm. and I finally got those two yeses last year. So that's the yay. Like you gotta be a squeaky wheel. You gotta advocate for yourself. When someone says no, you keep asking. You find when when mom says no, you go ask dad. Kind of thing. You, just, <laughs> you, you gotta you you just gotta work within the system. And and finally, yeah, I gotta gotta cut off. And what happened post amputation is I entered the world. Like now, I was more of an overt amputee. Like everyone can see, here's a guy who is doing more with less. Mm-hmm. And, and the kindness and the compassion that, that presented itself, that, that likely wouldn't have happened otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just made this realization. I feel like most people are well-intentioned, compassionate, and just waiting for the opportunity to help someone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, spending four and a half months in, in a wheelchair after the amputation, like people could see that I struggled getting in and out of my truck, and and when I would park downtown before I could even get to the parking meter, someone would, would race me to it and pump it full of cookers, just complete strangers. Mm-hmm. And and I remember eating at a at a restaurant, and I went to pay my my tab, and 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 the server informed me like, hey, uh, someone else already paid for it, and they don't want to know that they prefer to remain anonymous and i'm like what like wow i i have no idea people are that awesome yeah i think the human spirit in its in its true nature is kind is generous is loving is caring i think it, it we want to we have to we have to learn hate we have to learn distrust. We have to learn uh, those things. But at our core, uh, I believe that the, the, the human spirit is good. And we, examples like what you're yeah. just describing, I think, clearly exemplify what's deep within us is that we want to help. We want to be in service. It's just natural to us. We care for each other. We have to have other people to, that tell us we can't, we can't like you because you think differently or you look differently and those kinds of things. And, uh, but, I, you know, I, I think we take for granted uh, a lot of things in life. And one of those things is, uh, is the kindness of others. Um, but also what you were just talking about is yeah. like people don't understand the, the, the things that they take for granted in their daily lives that I'm sure you had to recognize. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I, I, I can't believe how much I have to, to focus on this. And that I, at one point in my life, I sure took for granted. Could you share some of the things in your daily struggles that um, that many of us, if not most of us, take for granted? Yeah, well, so Charlie, being, being an amputee, and uh, I, I've been I've been uh, li- living out of my truck since March of 2019, and and that can be pretty challenging when temperatures are below freezing, and and you know where to put my wheelchair and. Uh, and, and just just getting dressed mm-hmm. is such a chore, and and the most challenging thing is is hygiene. Like taking a shower is not easy. I need to set aside an entire hour, and in the risk, like it's now potentially very very risky. I've taken I took seventeen falls after oh. my amputation, and. Like, I will never use forearm crutches again. Forearm crutches are just so prone to slippage. And, man, when they slip out from under you, like, I had this one moment in, in Vancouver, Washington, where where I was walking across this parking lot, and, and I, I slipped. Um, you know, there was, like, some fresh dew, and, and I face-planted. And because of how my hips are, right hip is two inches higher than my left so i have super limited range of motion so i can't quite get up unless i have something to push off of so i had to crawl you know through a puddle you know completely wet it's freezing cold out uh, puddles half frozen i have to crawl through it to get to a wall 
you know, a wall where I can find the leverage to push up off of. And this is in like the heart of downtown. Who knows how many people, bystanders were, you know, like, like what it does to you to really pride yourself in your strength, like I'm a smoke jumper, I'm strong, I run marathons. And to be on the ground and, <laughs> and not be able to get up, man, it's just, it, it, Wow. The things we take for granted. So, yes, we do. We do. We do. And uh, thank you for sharing that story. And that's uh, uh, not easy for us to be able to, uh, you know, humility is something that we all can we can learn and, and, and ha- being humble in life and being grateful for the things that we have mm-hmm. and the people that are in our life and and the health that we have and, and, uh, and all that and the life that's before us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's in those moments that where we're brought down, like you were just, that, that shows our character. It shows what we're made of. It, it tests us. It tests our resiliency. I mean, it, uh, I, I mean, I, I, when I listen to you talk and, and I, my mind starts to think, my gosh, the resiliency you have the capacity and courage to face these things that uh, most mortals have not had to face late. And what keeps you whole? You know, how do you maintain your resiliency uh, in the face of these daily challenges and you keep meeting them? You keep, ex- you keep excelling, which is, fa- you're, I mean, you're, you teach are you paragliding, right? Or or uh, yeah. jumping. And so, so you didn't let it stop you. I mean, please share us how, how, what, where does that resiliency come from? Where, how do you maintain that? Yeah. So, so to begin with, the resilience was really challenged by confronting the fact that my identity, my identity was really built on what I could do physically. And the fact that those those networks, like my my mountain biking uh, friends, my marathon running friends, my my fire friends, you know, my Marine Corps friends, like I I, I was those networks were, were fading from me. And you know, the honest truth is, yeah, my fire friends were friends, but when you're out of the biz, you're out of the biz, and it's just it's not quite the same. Yeah. But what I was able to regain and what really literally puts wind in my sails is flying like paragliding and i there's some criticism because you know my life was reset via paragliding but the whole time i was in the hospital the whole time when my neither leg could could move all i could think about was the boundless freedom and and potential of of being up in the sky and get over 12,000 feet and seeing the curvature of the earth and, and the, the beauty and, and power and, and feeling small. And there's something about feeling small that makes the things that bother you so trivial. Yeah. When you could look into a canyon and see the geological layers from the Jurassic period and onward and be like, you know what, those things I mean, this has been, they they don't care that I'm frustrated with, I mean, uh, it wandered away on on that, but flying, flying is what really keeps me motivated because when I'm in the air, Charlie, I feel like nothing's changed. Mm -hmm. I can, I can crush it as much as anyone else, you know? (laughs) The, the sky doesn't care about no. less limb. Mm. And, and, and when I love something, the first thing I want to do is share it. Mm. So I got my uh, paragliding instructor certification just months before, about a year before my life was reset. Mm. And when I came to and I learned to fly again in the first flight, I had a buddy under grabbing each armpit, and it was a bit of a... a it could maybe, I don't want to say carnage, but it was, uh, 
it did, it wasn't pretty, but you know what? It helped me, and I, right. I, I got in the air, and I flew. Well, and incredible. when I landed, I came in on my butt, and I stayed on my butt till my friends could come pick me up. But <laughs> that time in between to be in the air again was just, it, it's just incredible. And, and you know, I think the highlight of my ex- existence has been a couple years ago, I don't think she really wanted to do it, but she knew how much it meant to me. Mm-hmm. I took my mom tandem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to be able to share the sky with my mom, yeah. it was uh, it was like a major box was checked. <laughs> well, it sounds like you have an incredible mom uh, who's been there with you every step of the way. And so uh, I'm sure she enjoyed yeah. being there with you uh, in, uh, in doing what you loved and doing what you're passionate about. Uh, your story is incredible, Lane. And, you know, I, I, I think uh, we, the people who are, 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 who are, are transformed, who have had these life-transforming experiences that you've had and have come through the other side, we, you, have, you have lessons to teach us. You have gifts to pass on and to, and to pass forward and insights. What insights... Mm-hmm have you gained through this really steep, arduous journey that you've been on? I mean, is it okay to hit rock bottom? Is it okay to grieve? And, and, and lastly, what got transformed in you as a consequence of this experience? Uh, you know, Charlie, by hitting rock bottom, you learn things you can only you can't learn any other way yeah and and when you're at rock bottom fortunately the only direction from there is up but rock bottom rock bottom's a painful place to be you know the the amount of pain the chronic pain the neuropathic buzzing in my the electrical oh man it's just to this day it's i i I struggle, but what's really helped me get through it is, is that I feel like I've come up with a formula. Step one is, is we use this in a smoke jumping when you're on a fire and it's, it's, a, it's not, it, it's, a, it, it, it's, it's not, a, um, I don't want to say a pleasant or enjoyable fire, but, <laughs> but when you're on a fire, I, I just, I'll just describe the situation when you're, you're in the Great Basin, and, and there's no shade. The juniper trees are nothing more than oversized bushes, mm-hmm. and it's it's 100-plus degrees, and it is hot, and it is just miserable, and it's, it, it's, it's awful. <laughs> what, what we've come up with to, to really help cope with, with challenging circumstances is we say embrace the suck, you know? Yeah. And, and, to, and to me, when you embrace the suck, that means you've identified it, you acknowledge it, and, and that's, that's a moment of honesty. Yes. When you can yes. admit yes. what you're going through sucks. It <laughs> yeah. does. It's miserable. Right. And maybe you could take some time to mourn, and, and, but, but then you need to decide what's most important, and that's what you're going to do next. Mm-hmm. So those two things... Um, you know, just really acknowledging and being honest with yourself, grieving for a day or two, maybe two weeks or, you know, but you have to, you have to let yourself do that. And I think everyone needs to build their own formula. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what's worked for me and take it, take it or, or not, but mm-hmm. yeah, just those two things. And, and then letting people help. Mm-hmm. That's something I've, I've really had to learn because I want to, I'm fiercely independent. Mm-hmm. I want to do everything on my own. Yeah. But I, I've realized that even if I can do it on my own, it, it gives people an opportunity to feel like they're contributing and doing something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can get that door by myself. But you know what? It may make that person feel better about themselves if they, if they open it up for them. Well, yeah, go for it. Um, so letting people help. I, I feel like it's something I've I've learned through through hitting rock bottom. The other thing that I've, I've really learned is how 
to talk to people, diplomacy, how to engage with people that are going through hardship. Because many folks with the best of intentions just said things that pissed me off and bothered me. And I think the phrase, I understand, should be limited, should be exclusive to science and math classrooms. Right, right. When we're talking to someone, you know, say your friend broke a leg and, yeah, you broke a leg too, to tell your friend you understand. No, you don't because you're not them. That's right. And you never will be. That's right. And I think that needs to be prefaced is, you know, it really bothered me when folks would say, I understand what you're going through. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, not even. So when I, you know, engage with my buddies that are going through hardship is, the first thing I say is, dude, what you're going through, man, is awful. I can't even imagine what it's like. I get that out there. And then I say, I hope, I hope things improve. I hope they go better for you. And that word hope is just so much more open-ended. So really refraining from saying, I understand, and then also refraining from saying, I know. Because I had a few buddies who said, I know you're going to get back into smoke jumping. I know you're going to run marathons again. And that puts enormous pressure on you. Like, you're trying to motivate me and you're trying to uplift me, but when you say you know something, it makes me feel like, who the hell are you? Some sort of oracle? It bothers me. Right. So never say that you know, say that you hope. I hope you get back in running marathons. I hope you get back in the fire. And that's just, that just leaves it a little more open-ended. I, I, I agree, Lane. I think that that's so insightful uh, because a lot of times people, they want to reach. They don't know how to communicate. They don't know what to say. And so you, you try to be able to commiserate, but you can't commiserate because you don't know but and so learning how to be able to so that you can connect because I think people want to show and express their love and support. They just don't always know how to be able to do that. So thank you for 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 sharing that because that's I think that can help a whole lot of people. Uh, Lane, this yeah. series is dedicated to veterans and their families. Uh, what advice would you give someone who's listening to this or watching this later who might be going through what you've gone through or something, you know, who might be on the edge? What trauma, whose trauma-related injuries have brought them to the brink and they don't know what to do? What advice could you, would you give them who might be needing to hear it from you? You know, I, I think you, you got to find a community you got to search for it, you know, go online, whether it be a wheelchair community, an adaptive athlete community, uh, uh, folks struggling with, you know, psychological trauma. There, there are communities out there and, and you're not alone. So finding, finding that community and then just show up. Like when, when the Boise um, Veterans Recreation Program was soliciting slogans, like, I suggested the slogan "Just Show Up" because, <laughs> yeah. like, I've I've gone on all these events with uh, with Kelly O'Dell at the through the Boise VA, and they've been fantastic. And there's been times I'm like, I don't know if I really want to do this. I I've got so much stuff to do. I don't know if I really into river rafting. Uh, so I kind of like with some reservation, I, I just up and and I've done that several times, and never once have I regretted it. So just just show up, find, find an event, find something, and just, and just go. Love it. Late, I can't believe our show is uh, just about done. We are right at the 2 o'clock right now. Uh, if you could stay for just maybe three or four more minutes, uh, I'd like to get you to ask just a couple more questions. But before we do that, I want to make sure that everybody knows that we are broadcasting here live on KUHSDenver.com. That's KUHSDenver.com, broadcasting here not only in Denver, Colorado, but all across the nation and all around the world. We are being listened to 
uh, by so many different countries from so many different places on six continents. The council is being listened to by individuals like you. And so we just thank each and every one of you for tuning in to this very special series uh, that the council is in partnership with uh, the Trauma Sensitive Awareness Foundation. Uh, this special 10-part series that we're doing from July 24th through September 25th. It's information, it's hope, it's inspiration, it's healing. We're exploring cutting-edge treatments and alternative therapies, hearing pioneering veterans and mental injury experts, and we're finding hope for PTS, TBI, moral injury, sleep disturbance, family conflict, emotional trauma, and so much more. And part two debuts in November at www.t-saf.org. That's t-saf.org. That's part two. That's going to be debuting in November. Uh, Lane, uh, you, you actually experienced another setback just recently. Could you share briefly just a little bit what your the, – the, you just – I think you broke your arm, yeah? You fell and uh, – and Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, man, life is, life is full of turbulence. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I've, I've climbed, I've gained some altitude, and, man, I, I, hit, a, I hit a rough spot. And uh, – and, and, part of the engine broke, you know, I, it was, it was just so simple. I was, I was just going down the stairs and had a big box and, and stairs are, are such a, are such a formidable act. You know, they've, they've been challenging for the last seven years. I've, I've never really felt fully comfortable going up or down them without holding onto a railing, mm -hmm. but having this box, I, I wasn't able to do that. And I missed a step and, and in the process of falling, I, I flung my right arm out and just managed to, to weave it right between the bars that are along the, uh, the hand railing and continue with my fall until my right humerus uh, fractured. Yeah. And, and it, it fractured with such intensity that it, it broke through the skin. So, you know, I was, I was bleeding there in the stairwell uh. and I immediately go into EMT mode. I'm like, okay, what, what color is the blood? And unfortunately, it's it's dark. So I'm like, okay, that's good. It's not an arterial bleed. I, I, I'm not I'm not going to die here. And I thought, well, maybe you know, I'll, I'll drive myself to the hospital. And as soon as I started moving around, the the ends of those two bones were scraping against each other. Something called crepitus, and the pain was just uh, it was it, it knocked me down. Oh. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to lay here until they until the medics show up and pump me full of pain meds because this, this is too, too much to move. Um, so now with that, like, yeah, the bone breaking, that was, that was, uh, and that, that's one thing, but the nerve injury. So I, I damaged my uh, medial nerves. So I don't, I don't have the ability to lift my, my fingers or do like throttle up, you know, like on a motorcycle or give you a thumbs up. And out of all the injuries I've had, I've never, I've never lost the function of my hand. And so, again, the things we take for granted, trying to, and it's my dominant hand, so trying to write, learning to write with my left hand and keyboard, and it's, I honor you. I mean, you have gone through my goodness and you, and to keep your sense of humor, to keep your compassion and kindness and generosity and open heartedness. And I, mean, I, I, I'm, I am humbled and honored uh, to be in your presence, sir. I really am. It's just incredible, Lane. Really incredible. Thank yeah, you for thank sharing you. your story with us today. Um, and, you know, we're going to keep following you here on the council. I would love to bring you back on sometime later, too. Um, and um, but Lane, thank you. And if you could, uh, before we close, I always ask my guests, uh, if you could give one piece of advice, one bit of wisdom from your life experience, what would it be? Um, 
knowing that the people you choose to have in your life is the people you choose to surround yourself with is among the most important choices you'll ever make. It's no doubt about that. The support and the network and the compassion. And I'm just so incredibly fortunate to have so many people that care. Yeah. I think that is critical, especially during challenging times of crisis and trauma. You want to have those be around those people who love you and care about you and are there for you. Absolutely. Sir, thank you. It's been an honor. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Charlie. And, and, you know, you you interviewed Seth Dahl in the past, and I'm really hopeful that this will all come together in a in a in a film that'll continue to motivate and inspire. Let's hope so. I'd love for that to continue for sure. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in to the council today. The council is adjourned. We will be back next week. we got another fantastic guest coming on this show for the Veterans Special Summit Series. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. God bless. See you next week.